This morning, as we dig into this text and continue our study uh, on the compassion of, of Jesus and the way that as we see Christ's heart breaking for others, what we can learn from him. This morning, uh, we're going to be talking about the shocking compassion of Jesus. Anybody ever had like a shocking moment where you walk into something and it's just, it, it, you don't know what to expect and, uh, and, and you find yourself kind of on edge and you find yourself having lots of questions? This past week, Pastor John and I got to have a special shocking moment. We got to go to prison. You guys proud of me? Now, uh, there, uh, this last weekend, there was a ministry called Kairos Ministry that, that, that stayed at our church and over the weekend got to go and minister in um, Valley State Prison, the men's and the women's uh, facilities. And John and I were invited to come and join or observe their closing ceremony with all of the inmates that were taking place or that were participating in this uh, program. Um, now, I've never been to prison, uh, so this was, this was a first for me. And I remember just walking in and going through all the security and uh, seeing all the guards, and then just all kind of like the natural questions that I found running in my head, like, I wonder if someone's going to shank me, or um, uh, I wonder what he did, or I wonder what, what, what happened. And, um, and, and really walking into this gym and, and hearing these prisoners um, and all the questions that, that are going on in my mind and, and hearing them sing songs that we sing here in church. And just feeling like this shocking, like, what's going on? Like, is this okay? Like, there's murderers in here and, 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 and child molesters in here and, and, and we're, we're singing the songs that, that we sing in church. And feeling like this shocking moment. And I, I imagine there's something like this feeling that, that the disciples have in the narrative that we're re looking at today. You see, they were sent by Jesus to go get some food. And Jesus is left in Samaria to hang out while they're gone. And they come back. And it says here that they see him interacting with someone that is really shocking. It says this. It says the disciples, they come back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? This word marveled here in, in some translations, uh, it's, a, it, it's a word for, that they, they use the word shocked. Other translations, they use the word surprised. And they see Jesus talking with this woman, and if you, if you read in the context here, uh, it's a Samaritan woman. And it's shocking. It's absolutely shocking, and it's, it's shocking for a few reasons. One, she's a woman, and Jesus is a rabbi. And at the time, to have a rabbi, someone who was of the law, to actually talk with a woman was, was unheard of, if not offensive. But not only was Jesus talking to this woman, we also know that she was a Samaritan woman. 
This was an ethnicity that the Jewish people believed were against them, had different understandings of, of, of they were considered half-breeds. They were at once Jews, and if you know the Old Testament story, they had, they had kind of split off, and, and they had come up with their own practices for worship, and there's this whole interaction that Jesus has with this woman, and Jesus is talking with a Samaritan woman of a totally different ethnicity. This would be equivalent to, to, to you or me talking with someone that was Arab, maybe even someone that come from a terrorist background, and Jesus is talking with her. And we know from the context, if you go back, in his conversation with this woman, what is so shocking is that this woman, was she wasn't just a woman, she wasn't just from an ethnicity that made everybody uncomfortable, she also had a reputation of being a, a very loose woman. In Jesus' conversation with her, he tells her, and calls her out that she had been uh, married five times, and the man that she was with at the moment was not her husband. So you could imagine as the disciples are walking back, getting ready to eat, and they see Jesus, they have this shocking moment, this absolutely shocking moment. And this is what we're going to talk about today. When the compassion of Jesus is shocking. I almost forgot to pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful for your profound example to me. I'm so grateful for the ways that you shock us with your compassion. And right now, God, as we get to dig into this text, as we get to learn from your disciples and, and as your word is proclaimed over us and we read it, I pray, Spirit of God, that you would descend into this place, that you would come into all who are watching online and that right now, God, we would have an encounter of your spirit illuminating these words, of opening up the eyes of our hearts to see the way that only you can do when we feel that you are speaking to each of us personally. So come, Lord Jesus, come. Have your way. In your name we pray. Amen. So as we look at the shocking compassion of Jesus, it seems to me that there's really five different ways that Jesus' compassion is shocking in this narrative. And as we work through the text, we're going to see this. And the first way is that Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, speaks truth into empty living. It speaks truth into empty living. Now, typically, in, when we're looking at the life of Jesus, oftentimes when he has these interactions, we find him doing some incredible miracles. Touching a leper and, and, and all of a sudden taking away the disease. Healing someone who's crippled, that has been crippled their entire life. Healing a blind man, bringing sight to a blind man. Healing a lady with a, with a, with a, that's been bleeding and having this issue for a long time. But in this text that we see, Jesus does a, a really special or different miracle. And it's speaking prophetically into this woman. Look at what it says here. It says... The disciples, they show up, they see that Jesus is talking to this woman, it says that the woman left her jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. 
And can this be the Christ? If you have time this week, I would encourage you to go back and read Jesus' interactions with this woman. They are so profound and so beautiful. But in essence, Jesus has this conversation with her. And oftentimes we think of Jesus as, you know, he, he's kind of got all the good feels and he makes everyone feel good all the time. But if you go and read the life of Jesus, oftentimes he says really hard things too. And in this interaction that he has with this woman, he actually speaks life into her. He speaks truth into her. And the truth is, is that she's been looking for love in all the wrong places. The truth is, is that she's been seeking uh, belonging and identity in, in these other relationships, and she's been living in a way contrary to the way that God designed her, and Jesus calls her out. In his interaction with her, he says, you've been seeking after this, and Jesus literally says, he, she, she's getting him water, and he says, I can give you living water. And he speaks hope into her. She's been living for this empty Living is what I like to call, empty living. And I think this relates so much to our world. How often do we see stories of people who have been running after things, thinking this is what life's about, this is where I will find meaning, whether it's, it's riches or whether it's fame or whether it's, it's power. And they get to that point and they find that it's empty. And they get to that point, or we get to that point, and we say, is this what life's about? And we see story after story after story of the people that our society says they made it, struggling with mental health and drug addiction and struggling sometimes to the point of, of suicide because they find themselves drawing water from what, what the Proverbs would say are empty cisterns. And Jesus sees this in this woman, and he doesn't heal her. He doesn't, I, I don't think he necessarily does anything truly prophetic or different than just speaking into her. Now, whether he knew about her being with five other men, and, and, and whether, I, probably the Spirit gave him that, but, I, but I, I believe that there's such a lesson here. And sometimes, as we think about the compassion that God has for us, sometimes the compassion is that God is calling you and me in the relationships that we have to speak life into others' empty living. And oftentimes, the Lord will put us in conversations. He'll put us in relationships, and he will give us opportunities with people that find themselves in the same place as this lady. And the answer is not just, hey, it's going to be okay. The answer is not just, hey, you're going to get through this. The answer is, hey, do you know that you're living for emptiness? And let me tell you about the living water that I have discovered that is found in Jesus. There's this challenge for us to be a people who speak truth, for us to be a people who, who speak absolute authoritative truth from God into a world that believes in relative truth. To say, this is what we believe. And this is a shocking thing. Truth is oftentimes something that truly is shocking. 
And so we see this here. Jesus speaks truth into empty living. It's also really fascinating to me that we learn from Jesus that he eats doing the work of God. That the compassion of Jesus, the compassion of Christ Jesus, is not just that his compassion speaks into truth, truth into empty living, it's also that he eats doing the work of God. Look at this next interaction. It says, the, the, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. We just went, we just got some Chick-fil-A, we just made it, made it all the way back, or whatever the, the, the snack is that, they, that they're bringing back. And he says to them, I have food to eat that you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, what's going on? Did you, did you give him food? Did, did she give him food? I thought we were supposed to, I mean, it's, there's a bit of a mystery, there's a bit of a shocking moment here, and Jesus says this, he says, my food, look at this, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. His food, his meaning, his purpose is mission. This is what the, the meaning that Jesus has. This is what drives the compassion in him. It's living on mission. It's not living for his own selfish desires or his own, his own ambition. It's to, to do the work that God has called him to do. He eats doing the work of God. What do you, where do you find meaning? As you think about your life, where do you find purpose? Perhaps for some of us, it's I love the work that I get to do. I can't wait to, to get up and go and, and be there in, in this job that, that, that I get to, to do. I love the school that I get to, to go to. I love to learn. I love my family. This is my purpose. This is my meaning. Jesus here says that our purpose as, as followers of, of the Lord, as people of God, our ultimate purpose is the mission of God. This goes all the way back to the garden. When, when God created Adam and Eve, what does he do? He doesn't say, hey, you know what? Enjoy the garden. Just live in it. I, I, don't, I don't need you to do anything. No, he says to them, he says you need to guard the garden. He says you need to be fruitful and multiply. There's this mission that, that we, from the very beginning, have been called to take part in. And Jesus is a model to this. He says, I came here with a purpose to accomplish. I was sent by the Father with a purpose. And this is what moves Christ our Lord. He's moved by the purpose that he has, and we'll talk more about this in a bit. He eats doing the work of God. Third, he opens eyes to the harvest. The shocking compassion of, of Christ Jesus opens eyes to the harvest. Look at what it says here. 
As he's talking with these disciples, he says, do you not say that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. He says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. I imagine if it was here, he would say, lift up your eyes and see, look at the trees. Have you guys seen the trees around here lately? Blossoms everywhere. The, the fields are white for the harvest. Jesus is literally pointing to these fields and he's saying, the time is now. There's an urgency to this. There's a call to the people of God to, to reap. He says, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. Okay, so Jesus is using a metaphor here. He's saying, well, I'm not talking about the actual trees or the actual fields. He's saying that this woman who, who just discovered that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Messiah, she's on her way back to Samaria to tell all her friends, and Jesus says she's already getting ready to reap the harvest. He says, the sower and reaper may rejoice together, for here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. He says, I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Jesus is literally saying the time is now. He's calling you and me and his disciples to be people who reap the harvest and the harvest are souls that are ready and hungry to learn about the good news of the rescue plan that the father has for his lost child. It's the scent. It's the same as the Great Commission when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's the sending. And I imagine him just grabbing his disciples and saying, don't miss this. Grabbing me and saying, Logan, now's the time. Look at the fields. Look at the trees. We got some farmers here. When it's time, when it's time to harvest, like those almonds or, or, or those pistachios or, or that wheat is ready to get cut or it's getting ready to harvest, are you just like, you know what, maybe I'll do it tomorrow? Are you just like, you know what, I got, there's something I need to do? No, it's like there's an urgency to be like, I need to get these nuts off the tree, Right? I need to go and harvest it while it's here. And Jesus is saying this to you and to me. He's saying the harvest time is now. And he's, and he's trying to stir up in you and me this, this call that our eyes would be open. And I believe he's telling you and me, open up your eyes. There's so much opportunity. And I, what I also love here is he says you're going to get to reap some of the work that others have sowed. This is so true. Remember as a youth pastor, oftentimes we would take our kids up to camp or on mission trips and you know, I've been spending years with students. 
And I've been trying to preach the gospel every single Wednesday, every single Sunday. And we go up to camp, and, and there's some speaker up there who doesn't know them at all, who tells the, the same stories that I tell, reads the same uh, things that I read, and I kind of think that he's not as good as me. And yet all of a sudden, all of my kids have these moments of being like, I, be- I want to believe in Jesus. And there's something about this that is so true. We never know the work that God has been doing in someone's heart leading up to the conversations that you're having. You never know the things that are being planted. And maybe he's just calling you to be a planter of those seeds. But here Jesus is saying you need to be looking to reap the harvest. Open up your eyes, beloved. We're farmers. Not just physically. A lot of us are. But spiritually, we're called to be reapers of the harvest. Now, perhaps some of us would say, well, the the theology and the doctrine that I have, I I believe that God is sovereign. And he's in control, and he's going to do it all. So I don't need to go and reap. I'm just going to trust him. And I want to tell you, if you fall into that trap, you're not reading your Bible. You are not reading your Bible because the scriptures are explicit that the people of God are called by, in his sovereignty, to be the instruments that he uses. And oftentimes when Jesus rebukes Oftentimes when, he's, when he tells parables of, of, the, of the sorting of the, of the, the goats and the sheep, is it's the people who, who didn't know him or who didn't do the things that he told them to do, who were disobedient. And so don't fall into the trap of my theology says I don't need to be a missionary. That's being disobedient to the words of Jesus. It's an imperative It's not the great suggestion. It's not the great hint. It's not the great, if you feel like it, it's the great commission, the great sending of the people of God. And we must figure out what does it look like for me to be obedient in the context that I am in. Open up your eyes to the harvest. Fourth, the shocking compassion of Christ Jesus kindles curiosity through testimony. I love this word kindles. I've been, um, I like to do uh, fires in my, this little solo stove in my backyard. And before, when I first started doing these fires, I thought, well, I'm just going to get the, the wood and I'm going to put it in the solo stove and I'm just going to get a match and I'm just going to light the wood and it's going to light right up and then we're going to have a great fire. Uh, that doesn't work, by the way. Any Boy Scouts here would tell you, uh, Pastor Logan, you need kindling. You need to start with something small that will get going and it will turn and then that will start and then that will get the the big logs eventually going. And I believe here in the story we see this picture of of the compassion of Jesus. It, It kindles something in this woman. This shocking moment kindles something in her. It's this small little fire that's starting in her and it kindles something in Samaria. It kindles this curiosity. Look at what happens here. It says this. 
The woman has gone back to Samaria to tell all her friends, or actually, probably not her friends, she doesn't, probably doesn't have a lot of friends, but to tell her neighbors in the community. It says, many Samaritans from the town believed in him, Jesus, because of what? The woman's testimony. This is the power of story. I would just add my amen to Pastor Doug's sermon a couple weeks ago when he talked about that your story is enough, that, that the story, the gospel story of the way that Jesus has grabbed a hold of you, that is one of the most compelling ways to share the good news of Jesus. And we see this here, her story. She says, I was just at this well and I was just getting water, and I was getting water in the middle of the day because I, that, that's the time when no one's there, and I didn't even want to see anyone because nobody likes me. And all of a sudden, there's this rabbi that shows up. And you know what happened? He was a Jew, and he talked to me. And he didn't just talk to me. He told me everything I ever did. And he offered me living water. And there's this compellingness about her story. And so, so, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him. They're like, Jesus, you need to teach us more. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. The shocking compassion of Christ Jesus kindles curiosity through testimony. Powerful, powerful truth. I also find it shocking because notice this Samaritan woman, does she go to evangelism training? Does she go to seminary to learn about how to save all the Samaritan people? Does she go to a special Bible study? No, she literally, she just came to understand Jesus, and it's, this is just-in-time evangelism. God gave her a story, and now she has a story to tell. And my friends, way too often we talk ourselves out of sharing the good news of Jesus because we think we're not equipped enough or competent enough or empowered enough or charismatic enough and all people need is your mumbling over your story because it's your story that can change everything. Now hear this, your gospel story, the story of how Jesus got a hold of you Share your story. Be someone that kindles curiosity in the culture around you. And as you think on this, don't miss this though. The shocking compassion of Christ Jesus sparks miracles of salvation. We can do all the kindling that we want, my friends, but we do not have the sparks to light hearts on fire the only one who has the power to change hearts is Jesus himself now we are called to go and to be instruments that are used by him and to trust in him but also to ask for these moments where people will come to a saving faith in the, the Messiah Christ Jesus that's what the word Christ means did you know that the word Christ means Messiah. And this is the shocking compassion of Jesus. Look at what it says here. 
It says that the, that the townspeople, they, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have, look at this, we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. It said, we've heard for ourselves. All of a sudden, what was kindling in them, the curiosity that was kindling in them became personal. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's personal. It's personal. It's a personal experience with the living God. And they heard for themselves. This reminds me of John chapter 3, verse 16. Just a chapter earlier, Jesus has an interaction with a much different person, a guy named Nicodemus. And in this interaction with Nicodemus, he's asking these questions about how do you get born again, and, and Jesus says this famous verse that you've probably heard many times. Jesus says, for God so what? Loved the world. The world there, I always love to insert my name there. I'm part of the world. For God so loved Logan that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should what? Not perish, but have eternal life. Now, oftentimes we stop at verse 16, but there's so much more to this. Look at verse 17, he says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That the world might be saved through him. The world, this is all people, could be saved through him, the Savior. This is the same as, you, you can see chapters 3 and chapter 4, the people now say, we know this is indeed the Savior of the world. And these are Samaritans. These are people that are very different. These are people that the disciples don't like. And they're discovering the incredible gospel of Jesus Christ. The shocking compassion of Christ Jesus sparks miracles of salvation. This past week, getting to go to this prison and hear about the ministry that kairos does. I got to learn about this word, kairos. This is a, a Greek word that, that relates to, uh, what, what did they say? Uh, kairos is, it's a time when conditions are right for the accomplishment of a crucial action. It's the opportune and decisive moments. It's actually outside of chronos, which is like when you look at a clock and it's chronological. Uh, kairos are like these moments of decision. And it seems to me that we need to be a people that are constantly praying that the Lord would, 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 would bring about kairos moments for the people around us. Moments of decision. Moments of choosing to say, I follow Jesus. I loved getting to hear the stories of prisoners who who are in the place that they are because of really horrible decisions they have made, but also get to see these, these older gentlemen that are coming alongside and, get, and showing a shocking compassion for them and telling them you're not too far gone and telling them about the love of Jesus and, 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 and exemplifying that in the fact that they put their arm around this murderer 
or drug dealer. And they see, and you see the change that Jesus is doing in the hearts of these men. And you see the hope that they have of all of a sudden saying, even I can belong. And as you hear this, I don't want you to miss this congregation. I don't want you to get so caught up in our call to go and harvest that you miss the most important piece to this, is that as we read this story, we should see ourselves not just as the disciples, we should see ourselves as the woman at the well. We should see ourselves as the one who was after the empty living. And Jesus shows up. Jesus seeks after you, and he finds you. And he seeks you. Turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus seeks you. And that's what it says here. Look at this. This is a little little fun with words. The shocking compassion of Christ Jesus seeks you, S. He speaks to you, E. He eats doing the work of God. He opens your eyes. He kindles the curiosity and he sparks the miracles of salvation. Jesus seeks you. It's personal. And for some of us as we read this text, perhaps before we go out and share the good news, we need to receive the good news and say, oh my goodness, this can be for me too. I don't, I'm not on the outside, I can be on the inside. And all that it takes to be on the inside is to come to a personal relationship, to join the people, the Samaritans who say, we have heard this for ourselves. Beloved, my prayer is that we would not miss this incredible invitation from Jesus. And so as you reflect on this, the question is, What will you do with the compassion of Jesus? What will you do with the compassion of Jesus? Above all, the beginning is just that we receive it, that we reflect on his incredible grace and the fact that he has sought after me. But I would encourage you to ask yourself, how can I respond to this compassion? For some of you, it may be thinking, oh man, I need to go have a conversation. I need to go speak truth into someone and maybe take the level of our conversation to another level. And hear this, I said conversation, I didn't say sermon. Oftentimes, it's just I need to ask better questions. Go look at the way that Jesus talks to the woman at the well, it's all with questions. For some of us, it might be I need to start putting myself around others who are hungry. That's why we we want to encourage you to come on Wednesday nights to celebrate recovery. It's an incredible opportunity to be a part of something that is very raw and beautiful. I don't know what God is speaking to you right now, but I want you to have space to write it down. I want you to have space. It says in James, don't really listen to the word and and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so as we close this time together and we prepare for the offering, don't miss this. How is King Jesus speaking into you right now?
As you think of his compassion for you, what is he calling you to do in light of this compassion? And how is he breaking your heart? Let's pray.